Welcome to worship. I uh, guess it goes without saying that this is not how uh, any one of us wants to be doing this. Uh, certainly not me. I am thankful, however, that we can utilize technology to our advantage uh, in a time like this and continue meeting, even if it is only in spirit. I'm also grateful that we serve a God who does not live in houses made by men. Heaven is his throne and earth is his footstool. And even as we gather in this way, we trust that the Lord is with us. Uh, I do have several people uh, in the sanctuary with me. Uh, so if you see me looking around, you're watching this on camera, you're seeing me looking around. I, I'm not just looking at nobody. I have a few people in here to help break the ice. Uh, but I understand most of, most of you will be, will be watching from home. Uh, assuming we have to do this for the next several weeks, I imagine that the words of the psalmist will quickly become our own. My soul yearns even faints for the courts of the Lord. Sometimes it takes deprivation to really appreciate things. I trust that God will use this time of deprivation in our own lives uh, to help us appreciate each other and to help us appreciate uh, the freedom we have to gather regularly together on Sunday for worship. Our call to worship this morning comes from Psalm 124, verse 8. This is what we read there, fitting words always, especially in a time like this. Our help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Let's pray together. Lord God, we gather for worship this morning, not as we are used to. Yet even as our lives and schedules aren't the same, we rest in the fact that you are. Thank you for the technology which enables us to gather around your word. Thank you for the grace and the mercy which you continue to bestow upon us in Christ. And we ask that in this time you would increase our love for you and each other. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Dear friends, receive God's greeting. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. As God has greeted us this Lord's Day, why don't we take a moment and, and maybe just say a prayer for one another in our homes. I invite you to hear God's word this morning from the book of Exodus. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and all that is in them, and he rested on the seventh day. 
Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land the Lord your God has given you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, his male servant or his female servant, his ox or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. Having heard what God's law requires of us this morning, please join with me in a prayer of confession. Almighty and most merciful Father, we have erred and strayed from your ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have offended against your holy laws. We have left undone those things which we ought to have done, and we have done those things which we ought not to have done. We are helpless without you. O Lord, have mercy upon us. Spare us as we confess our faults. Restore us as we are penitent. According to your promises declared to us in Christ Jesus our Lord. And grant, O merciful Father, for his sake, that we may hereafter live a godly, righteous, and devout life. To the glory of your holy name. Amen. Dear friends, Having confessed our sins this morning, hear God's word of pardon from 1 John 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Thanks be to God for his amazing grace. We're going to turn our attention now to God's word after we Spend some time in God's Word. We will spend time in prayer uh, for each other and for our community uh, and for our world. So maybe we'd say that we'll do the sermon and we'll end the sermon with a congregational prayer this morning uh, to change some things up. Our sermon uh, this morning comes from Psalm 91. Psalm 91. Uh, the title of the sermon is Take Cover. You might have saw that. Uh, in the email, um, in times like these, uh, we as pastors often have to call an audible or adapt. We make plans, but as we know, plans uh, sometimes fall through. Uh, we've, we're studying the precious blood uh, for the Lenten season leading up to Easter, and in the evening sermon, uh, we will look at the precious blood again and continue that series, but Psalm 91 provides the people of God with fitting words, comfort, comforting words uh, in a difficult time. And so we're going to turn there together this morning. Psalm 91, uh, I will read the entire psalm for you. Psalm 91, hear the holy, inspired, and inerrant word of God read for you now. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely He will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with His feathers, and under His wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and your rampart. You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, 
10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. If you make the Most High your dwelling, even the Lord who is my refuge, then no harm will befall you. No disaster will come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread upon the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. He will call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him with long life. I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. As far as the reading of God's own word, let's pray and ask the Holy Spirit to bless us as we study it together this morning. Our great and awesome God, we thank you for the opportunity we have to study your word again together. Lord, we thank you for the means you have given us to be able to do this in a time like this, Lord. And we, we pray that even, uh, even through the use of technology, even as your word goes forth, that by it you would accomplish your purposes in the lives of your people. Lord God, in your word there is comfort, in your word there is peace. We long for that comfort and peace this morning. We pray that you would bestow it upon us, the glory of the risen Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> California, 56% will be infected. Statewide lockdown underway. U.S. jobless claims could top a record 1.5 million next week. Netflix asked to slow streaming so the internet doesn't buckle. American Airlines grounds 55,000 flights. State Department tells citizens not to travel, return home if overseas. Gathering bans raise religious freedom questions. Grocery delivery strains to meet demand. Four members of same New Jersey family die. Even most isolated corners of country not safe. Could the Wall Street tsunami get worse? Bank of America. The recession is already here. Wealth will be destroyed. There are no funerals. Death in quarantine leaves nowhere to grieve. Dear congregation, those are just some, some of the news headlines from this past Friday morning. And I'll bet most of us would agree that these are head-spinning, anxiety-inducing, sleep-depriving headlines. These are headlines that, that really make us want to run for cover. No doubt these headlines are reflective of the days in which we're living. Because these are days that make you want to run for cover, aren't they? Days when... Days when um, Kids are home from school and, and teachers are trying to come up with new ways to teach on the fly. 
Days when parents are forced to adapt to, to new situations and are, are trying to balance work and, and, and children and all of these new things. Days when employers are wondering if, if they'll be able to uh, be in business next week and keep their stores open and keep their employees busy. Days of pastors having to preach to empty sanctuaries. Right? These are head-spinning, anxiety-inducing, sleep-depriving Days. These are days that make us want to run for cover. Psalm 91 invites us to run for cover. Not only does it invite us to run for cover, but Psalm 91 tells you where to run for cover. It tells you where you will find cover, where you will find relief, where you will find security and rest. And that's in the Lord. All of the psalms are precious, but Psalm 91 is, is one of those psalms that has been especially cherished by the people of God. As James Boyce says, millions have turned to it with thankfulness in the midst of life's calamities. Ultimately, it is a psalm that assures the believer of God's sovereign care over his or her life. But even as it assures us of God's sovereign care, so does, it, so does it also at the same time call each and every one of us to, to take cover in this God who watches over our lives and who shelters us beneath his wings. As we turn to the psalm now, we'll see that it calls us to take cover first in God's person, second in God's protection, and third, in God's pledge. God's person, God's protection, God's pledge. So first point this morning, take cover in God's person. We see this in verses 1 and 2. In these verses, the psalmist sets forth the, 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 the psalm's theme in verse 1. And he sets forth his own profession of faith in verse 2. The psalm's theme is, he who, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. That's, that's, that's ultimately the truth that is, that is set forth in this psalm, and the truth that is unpacked in this psalm. The psalmist's profession of faith is, is, I will say of the Lord, he's my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. The psalmist is speaking to us from experience. He is speaking as one who himself has taken cover in the Lord by faith. What I want us to notice, though, are the, are the four names that the psalmist gives to God in these first two verses. The first name is, is in verse 1a. It's most high. He who dwells in the shelter of the most high. The, the Hebrew word behind that is El Yon. El Yon. And the, the first place we see this title used in Scripture is in Genesis 14. And it's used in relation to and even on the lips of that mysterious figure Melchizedek. Melchizedek is said to be a prophet of God Most High. God El Yon. And ultimately what this, what this name does is extol God's supremacy. This name declares that there is, there is nothing and no one who is higher than God. There is nothing and no one who is greater than God. 
The coronavirus today is great. God is far, far greater. He is the most high. The second name is in, is in uh, verse 1b. It's almighty, right? He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. The Hebrew word used here is El Shaddai. The focus of this name is, is as you might have guessed, it's on, it's on God's power. But, but it's, it's, it's focused especially on God's power to do what He has promised to do. The first place we see this title used is in Genesis 17. Verses 1 and 2. This is what we read there. When Abram was 90 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. I am El Shaddai. Walk before me and be blameless. And then God says, I will confirm my covenant between me and you. Of course, as God goes on to confirm his covenant in Genesis 17, he makes uh, or reaffirms many great promises to Abraham. He promises Abraham that he'll be the father of many nations. He promises Abraham that, that kings will come from him. He promises Abraham that, that the land of Canaan, where he is now living as an alien, will be given as an everlasting possession to his descendants. And God promises Abraham that he will be his God and the God of his descendants after him. But at the forefront of this covenant at the forefront of these promises is this name, God Almighty, El Shaddai. And the point is, God isn't just powerful, but he's powerful to do what he said he'd do. He's powerful to bless Abraham and his descendants in the manner he has promised. The third name is Lord you can see that in verse 2a, I will say of the Lord. You might notice in your Bibles that the word Lord there is in all capital letters. The reason for that is because, because the Hebrew word behind it uh, is Yahweh. And whenever Yahweh is translated in our Bibles, it's translated with all capital letters. Sometimes you'll see the word Lord not in all capital letters. And that's because the Hebrew word behind it is different. Usually in that case, it's Adonai. You can actually see the distinction, boys and girls, if you'd like to see it. In, in Psalm uh, 8, verse 9, uh, there we hear, um, um, we see the Lord two times. I suddenly can't remember what, how Psalm 8, 9 goes. But, but uh, the Lord's name is used twice there in Psalm 8, verse 9. The first one is in all capitals. The second time it's used, it's not. And that's because the first time... Lord is used in Psalm 8-9. It is, it is translating the word Yahweh. The second time it's used, it's, it's translating the word Adonai. Anyway, uh, Yahweh is the word used here in Psalm 91-2. And Yahweh is the, the special covenant name of the Lord. It's, it's the name by which God revealed himself to his own people. In Exodus 3, God appears to Moses in a burning bush. And you might remember God, he, he sends Moses to Pharaoh in order that Moses might say to Pharaoh, hey, let, let God's people go, let them, let them leave. Uh, Moses asks the Lord in the burning bush, he says, he says, who should I tell the Israelites has sent me? 
And God says this to Moses. He says, he says, this is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. This is where the name Yahweh comes from. In Hebrew, Yahweh means I am, or, or actually it's, 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 it's saying that from our perspective. So literally, Yahweh means he is. But that's, that's where this, this name comes from. It's the name God used to reveal himself to his people. Now, besides getting at the fact that our God is a covenant-making God who, who himself comes to his people and pledges himself to his people, this, this name gets at what we call the, the self-existence and immutability of God. Those are two big words. Uh, when we say God is self-existent, we mean he's not... He's not dependent on anyone or anything for existence. You and I are, are entirely dependent on others for our existence. We're dependent on our parents, and we're dependent on our grandparents, and we're dependent on our great-grandparents, and we're dependent on God, ultimately. But God is dependent on no one. God is self-existent. God just, he is. When we say God is immutable, that's the other word I used. We simply mean that God, God does not change. God's character and God's will is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Okay, yesterday, today, and forever, God, God is. Yesterday, today, and forever, I am. And what a comfort this is, right? In times like this, although our circumstances change, although the world changes, God does not change. God, God is. The fourth name in these verses is God. You see that in 2b, my God in whom I trust. The Hebrew word behind that is Elohim. The word implies majesty. Probably the most significant thing about this title is that it's the very first name used for God in all the Bible. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God. Literally in the Hebrew, Bereshit, bara, Elohim. It's the first name used for God in all the Bible. Now what I love about the God of Psalm 91 verses 1 and 2 is that when we, when we turn to the pages of the New Testament, we see him dwelling among us in the flesh. Colossians 1, 15 through 20 makes it clear that Jesus, Jesus is the most high God. He is the one who has supremacy in all things. As we've been studying Mark together here at, here at Prosper, we've seen for ourselves that Jesus, Jesus is God Almighty. The demons are terrified of him. Creation obeys him. The sick are healed by him. We haven't even gotten to the most amazing display of Jesus' power. That's on Easter morning, when the tomb is empty, and even death proves to be no match for our Savior. Jesus is God Almighty. And Jesus is Yahweh. He says so himself in John 8, verse 58. I tell you the truth, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. The Greek there is ego eimi. I know that's been a theme at NMCS this year. It literally means I am. It's all the same. Jesus there is, is declaring himself to be Yahweh. 
Jesus is declaring himself to be the great I am. He is the God who was and is and is to come. He is the God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the God who appeared to Moses in the burning bush. He is the God whom Psalm 91 tells you to run to and to take cover in ultimately. More than that, Jesus gives us all the more reason, doesn't he, to run to this God and to take cover in this God. Because Jesus, Jesus has shown to us, Jesus has shown to us the magnitude of God's love for his people. And Jesus, Jesus has shown us the lengths that God will go to to save his people. And Jesus has shown us that, that God is able to take circumstances, which are from our perspective rather unfortunate, and he's able to use them for our good and God's glory. That's, that's exactly what Jesus did at the cross. He took circumstances sort of like we're in today. Of course, they're not exactly the same, but circumstances that from our perspective Appear, appear bad, appear unfortunate. And he used them for God's glory and for his people's good. Dear friends, take cover in God's person today. Ours is a God in whom we can and should and are meant to find rest. Ours is a God who is a refuge and a fortress for his people. Ours is a God whose mere shadow gives us shelter. He is the Most High. He is the Almighty. He is the Unchangeable. He was there in the beginning. Okay, our God is, is not one who has shown up late to the party. He's not uninformed. From the moment sin entered the world, God has been working His purposes out through sin and war and famine and plague. What's happening around about us now, it might be something that we've never seen, but it is nothing, nothing that is above and beyond our God. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. Take cover in God's person. Second, take cover in God's protection. That's our second point this morning. Take cover in God's protection. We see this in verses 3 through 13. In these verses, the psalmist, he turns his attention to his listeners. That is, he, he speaks to us now. And in verse 3, he tells us what God protects us from. We read, surely he will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. The fowler's snare refers to, to dangers that might come our way at the, at the hands of other people whether it's people who, who are trying to harm us intentionally or who might harm us unintentionally, whether it's people who might harm us physically or, or spiritually. It refers to dangers which come to us at the hands of other people. Deadly pestilence refers to dangers like disease in general and like COVID-19 in particular. God, God protects his people from danger in various forms. Now, this doesn't mean we, we won't get sick. It doesn't mean others won't harm us. Okay? Nowhere does this psalm ever say that God's people won't have trouble. In fact, it says just the opposite in verse 15. We will have trouble. This just means that the believer can trust God to protect him. 
And which of us can't testify to that this morning? Which of us can't testify to having been protected by God through various dangers? I remember, this has stuck with me, I believe I've even told you this story before, but I, I remember when I was in high school, uh, a friend of mine and I, we were driving out to the beach in Grand Haven, and we were talking, and we, we blew through a stop sign, never hit the brakes. Could have easily killed someone, could have easily been killed ourselves, we would not have been the first fatality at that intersection, but no one was there. No one was coming. We shot through unscathed. God protected us. We all have testimonies like that. We can all think of times when, when God has protected us from various dangers. Believers can trust God to protect them from danger in its various forms. In verse 4, we see what God's protection is like. In this verse, God's protection is likened to two things. First, to that of a mother bird caring for her young. He will cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you will find refuge, the psalmist says. It's a, it's a beautiful picture, isn't it? It's a, it's a picture of tenderness, and it's a picture of affection. The second picture here is, is that of a warrior's armor. Okay, God's, God's protection is likened to a warrior's armor. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. And the, the picture there is of strength and power and durability. So we, we, put these, we put these two images together and we see that, that God's protection is both tender and strong. It's both affectionate and it's durable all at the same time. Okay, it's, it's not loving but weak. It's not impersonal but strong. No, it's loving and strong. All at once. Matthew Henry says, God is as willing to guard his people as the hen is to guard the chickens. And he is as able to guard his people as a man of war in armor. In verses 5 and 6, we, we see what God's protection means for us. Here in these verses, the psalmist basically says, hey, hey in light of everything I'm telling you, in light, of, in light of who our God is, in light of what he protects you from, in light of what his protection is like, in light of what God himself is going to say to you at the end of this psalm, you will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. Some of us need to hear that. Some of us need to hear that. You, God says to us in the psalm, you, and, and the you here is the child of God. The you here is, is the believer in Jesus Christ. The you here is the one who has been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. You will not fear. It's not, it's not you. You should not fear. The psalmist doesn't say, I really hope you, you don't fear. No, he says, you will not fear. In light of everything I've told you, in light of everything you have going for you, as a believer in Jesus Christ, you will not fear. That's what the truth of God's protection means for us. In verses 7 and 8, 
We see when God's protection is often experienced in our own lives. Look what we read. A thousand may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. This, of course, was Israel's experience in Egypt. The Lord sends plagues on the Egyptians, but you might remember, he dealt differently with the land of Goshen where his people lived. And, uh, and so the whole land of Egypt is ruined by flies. But Goshen, where God's people live, is not. And the livestock, a plague comes on the livestock, but God distinguishes between the livestock of the Egyptians and the livestock of his people Israel. And then, and then of course, there's, there's darkness in Egypt. This one always blew me away. There's darkness in Egypt, yet the Israelites had light in the places they lived. And then, of course, there's the plague on the firstborn. And the firstborn in the houses of the Egyptians are struck down. While the firstborn in the houses of the Israelites, hidden behind the blood of the Lamb, are spared. This is what happened. Psalm 91, verses 7 and 8, is what happened to God's people in Egypt. A thousand fell at their side, ten thousand at their right hand, but it did not come near them. They only observed with their eyes the punishment of the wicked. Now here's the question, to what extent is this our own experience? To be fair, verse 7 at least has been the experience of many Christians throughout the ages. It was, it was amazing to me as I studied this week how many stories there are of Christians ministering in the midst of contagious plagues and diseases and not being affected. Charles Spurgeon uh, ministered for months in the midst of a cholera epidemic in his hometown. Many in his community, many in his congregation were sickened. Many died. He said, every day I was at uh, the graveside doing a funeral. Spurgeon never got it. In 1576, the Archbishop of Milan was told by his council to leave the city as the plague had arrived, they said to the archbishop, you know what, you're, you're too important to be here. Why don't you go somewhere that's safe, somewhere the plague won't get you? And the archbishop said, no, this is exactly where I'm needed. He refused to leave. He proceeded instead to live in the city and to minister to the sick. Many were sickened around him. Many died. He never got it. There are many, many stories like that out there. I, I listened to an interview this week with a pastor in northern Italy. And he said the situation in northern Italy, it is dire right now. But then he was asked, how many in his church, how many in his congregation had the virus? And it took me a bit off guard. He said, none. Now we shouldn't make too much of that. But neither should we dismiss it. The truth is, verses, verses 7 and 8 is our experience insofar as it, as it shows us when God's protection is often experienced in our lives. It's experienced in our lives in the midst of calamity. 
and in the midst of death, and in the midst of judgment ultimately. Okay, what, what we read here does not mean that Christians won't get sick and die. This does not mean that in the midst of calamity, our lives won't get turned upside down. It simply means that in the midst of it all, we experience God's protection. If we could say in the midst of it all, it's where, it's where God's protection is seen most clearly by us. Right In the midst of the calamity, we see God's care in profound ways. Often physically, always spiritual. And we can be sure that in the weeks to come, we'll see that care. We'll see that care. In verses 9 and 10, we, we see who God's protection is for. There we read, if you make the most high your dwelling, even the Lord who is my refuge, then no harm will befall you. No disaster will come near your tent. God's protection is promised to those who make him their dwelling. That word dwelling refers to a place where one lives, not a place where one visits, a place where one lives. Many, many in our world, uh, many, many who might even be listening to this have, have a relationship with the Lord that is more like visiting than dwelling. We visit him when times get tough. We call on him when things go against us, but then when things go well, we leave him. When things go well, his name is not on our lips. Any thought of him is far from us. God here says, don't, don't kid yourself. It's those who, who live in me and with me, those who, those who dwell in me, those who abide in me. These are the ones I protect. These are the ones I watch over. Those who, who walk with me daily by faith and repentance and who listen to my word. Those are the ones I protect. And I ask you today, is, is the most high your dwelling? Do you live by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? If the answer is no, the good news is you, you can make the Lord your dwelling this day. He offers himself to you in Jesus Christ. Confess your sins. Say in your heart, the Lord is my refuge. The Lord is my fortress. The Lord is my God in whom I trust. If the answer is yes, be encouraged by God's word. No harm will befall you. No disaster will come near your tent. Spurgeon found great encouragement in that verse as he ministered to those with cholera. Maybe the health professionals among us will find similar encouragement as you work with and minister to those affected by COVID-19. Wear this verse confidently. No harm will befall you. No disaster will come near your tent. Not true disaster anyway. In verses 11 and 12, we see how the Lord's protection is administered, at least in part. We read, For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Hebrews 1.14 tells us that angels are ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation. In Genesis 28, Jacob has a dream, and in his dream he sees angels ascending and descending on a ladder with the Lord standing at the top of it as if he's giving orders to those angels. In 2 Kings 6, 17, 
One of the great stories in Scripture. Elisha and his servant are surrounded by hostile Arameans. And Elisha's servant is, is freaking out. And he says, oh my Lord, what shall we do? And Elisha says the strangest thing to his servant. He says, he says uh, don't be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And then Elisha prays. He says, oh Lord, open my servant's eyes so he may see. And we're told that the Lord opens the servant's eyes. And he looked and he saw hills full of horses and chariots of fire. An angel army. Even Jesus is attended by angels. In Luke, or excuse me, Mark 1. At once the Spirit sent him out into the desert, and he was in the desert 40 days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and we're told angels attended him. Luke 22, Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. The cross is before him. We're told in verse 43 that an angel from heaven appeared to strengthen him. You know, these experiences, they aren't unique to Jacob or to Elisha or even to Jesus. The psalmist says that that is, that is our experience as well. Christian, the, the Lord will command his angels concerning you to guard you, to protect you, to watch over you. It's exciting, isn't it? I was wondering this week in my, in my office, you know, uh, why does the Lord need to use angels to protect us? The fact of the matter is he doesn't. Does he? He is, he, is, he is God Almighty, the sovereign Lord of heaven and earth. He does not need to use angels. But the fact that he does is sweet. The fact that he does is sweet. In verse 13, we see what the truth of God's protection makes us. You will tread on the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. The truth of God's protection makes us conquerors, ultimately. In light of these truths, what can we say? But, but, but the dangers of, of our world, they make us cower. The truth of God's protection makes us courageous. The dangers of the world make us cower, but the truth of God's protection makes us courageous. So take cover in God's protection today. Let the truth of God's protecting, preserving mercy be a balm for your soul. Finally, take cover in God's pledge. We see this in verses 14 through 16. Here God himself speaks and affirms everything that the psalmist has already said. What I want you to notice in this last section, though, is simply God's pledge. And God's pledge is this. It's I will. I will. Eight times in the last three verses, God says, I will. About the one who loves him, he says, he says, I will rescue him. I will protect him. I will answer him when he calls. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him. I will honor him. I will satisfy him. I will show him my salvation. Eight times, the Lord says, I will. And isn't it great in times like these to know that, to know that our God is, is not a God who says to his people, you must, you must, you must. 
That's the government right now, right? You must stay inside. You must not travel if you don't need to. You must wash your hands. You must practice social distancing. You must, you must, you must. That's the government. That is not our God. Our God says, I will. I will. I will. That's the essence of the gospel. In the gospel, what does God say to us? But, but I will ultimately. I will rescue you. I will redeem you. I will save you. I will make provision for your sins through the blood of my Son. I will give you my Holy Spirit. I will give you new life. I will give you the gifts of faith and repentance. I will give you the new heart. I will give you the ability to serve me. I will, I will work all things together for your good. I will, I will, I will, I will. And beloved, the I wills continue even now. Even in the midst of uncertainty, and quarantine and social distancing and empty sanctuaries, God continues to say to his people, I will. I will protect you. I will answer you. I will be with you. I will satisfy you. I will show you my salvation. Dear friends, we live in head-spinning anxiety-inducing days. We live in days that make every one of us want to run for cover. Psalm 91 tells us where to run. Psalm 91 says, take cover in God. Take cover in God's person. Take cover in God's protection. Take cover in God's pledge. Find rest these days in the one who says to you through the blood of Jesus Christ, I will. Let's pray together. Almighty God, we praise you this day for being our refuge and our fortress. We praise you this day for being the one who says to us, I will. Help us in these days ahead to dwell in you by faith and to experience the security and rest afforded to us in Psalm 91. This morning we are mindful that we do live in head-spinning, anxiety-filled days. This morning we pray for the leaders of the nations throughout the world, asking that you would give them wisdom to lead well and to know what's right for the people they lead in light of this virus. We pray for the leaders of our nation, for our leaders on a federal, state, and local level. We pray that you would give them wisdom to lead well. Help them to know the best courses of action to take. Enable them to make the necessary decisions that need to be made. Surround them with wise counselors. Lord, we pray especially for President Trump and Governor Whitmer in this time. And we pray that you would be with them. We pray that you would keep them healthy. We pray that you would work through them to bless your people. We pray for those who've been infected by the virus and who are suffering from it even, both here in our nation and abroad. 
We pray, Lord, that you would bring healing. And we pray that you would bring comfort to those who've lost loved ones. We pray for those who are on the front lines and caring for the sick. We pray for our hospitals and our health professionals. We pray that you would watch over them and care for them and and keep them from harm at this time. We pray that you would keep them from being overwhelmed and that you'd enable the hospitals to to meet the demands and that you would, Lord, keep this, this sickness from advancing so fast that the hospitals can't keep up with it. Lord, we pray for the spread of the virus. We ask that you would turn it back. We pray that in the week ahead, the amount of those infected would decrease if it be thy will. Lord, we pray for our community. Many lives have been turned upside down. Kids are home from school. Uh, Some are without work. Lord God, we ask that you would provide for each and every one. Lord, we pray for our church family. We know that needs remain here. We pray for Roy Takama as he continues to battle cancer. We ask, Lord, that you would be near to him in Maryland. That the treatments he receives would shrink the cancer if it be thy will. Pray for many others in our fellowship who are dealing with chronic pain and illness in various forms. We ask that you'd watch over them and care for them in this time. We pray for others who have have various needs, Lord. Others who might be waiting for tests and waiting for doctor's appointments and who may have been pushed off uh, because of everything going on. We pray that you would provide for them also in this time. And we pray that they would know your peace and your comfort. We pray for the many who are filled with worry and fear in these days, Lord. Um, comfort us. Enable us to find rest in you and your sovereign care. Lord, help us to serve you well in these days. And we ask that through it all, your name would be exalted, your people strengthened, and your church built. And now we pray together the prayer you told us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. People of God, having worshipped together in faith and hope, receive now the parting blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and grant you his peace. Amen.